Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, continuing our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's message entitled, The Grace of Giving, Part 2. The Grace of Giving, Part 2. Let me just remind you of our context. You'll remember this letter by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He is now reminding them that he will be soon visiting their church, and he is in the process of collecting an offering from the various churches uh, that he is, has planted in Macedonia and modern-day Europe. and He's visiting these churches and he's collecting an offering which he is going to take back with him to Jerusalem. The churches in Jerusalem were struggling. They were under great persecution and a great financial need. So the churches are helping and contributing to this, this work that the Apostle Paul is bringing back. And he wants to encourage the church there at Corinth to give according to the grace of God in their lives. He wants them to give according to the things that they have promised and committed to. And he's given, as we saw earlier in chapter 8, he gave some of the other churches as an example, the churches in Macedonia. And he reminded them that they first gave themselves to the Lord. And having given themselves to the Lord, then, of course, they gave themselves to the work. He also talked about the example of Jesus himself, who became poor, that we might become rich, the ultimate giver. And now Paul is getting ready to send his ministry partner, Titus, to collect the offering. And this is now the instruction and the preparation for that coming. And what we'll find here are some some practical principles, I believe, uh, on the grace of giving. Giving is an important part of our walk in Christian life. And we want to look to the Scriptures for those instructions and for what God would have to say to us. So begin with me. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. That's where we are in chapter 8. And we'll notice that Paul is going to speak about a certain integrity in the way that the finances are to be handled. Chapter 8, starting in verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who has also... Uh, who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with him our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. The Apostle Paul is sending a team of men to ready this offering. Paul himself will go eventually and be a part of it, but he's sending some men before him. He would like them to go ahead and prepare things before he arrives. And he's introducing these men to us and to the church that he's writing to. He speaks of Titus. 
And he says that God has actually put something in Titus's heart for this church. He's not going, you know, kind of reluctantly or just because I asked. He actually wants to go. He sees this as part of his ministry. And he speaks of another brother. We, we don't know who this brother is, but apparently he was well known in all the churches and chosen by the churches to travel with this gift. So a man that was known and well respected within the ministry. And we also see this another brother, a third individual, a member of Paul's team who has proven himself diligent in many things. And what's interesting here is that the Apostle Paul is very careful uh, to offer these men as men of integrity for the purpose of handling this financial offering. And he says the reason that we want to do this is because we want to be honorable not only in the sight of God who sees and knows everything, but also in the sight of men. And this is a good principle for us to be reminded of. You know, God sees everything. And sometimes we, we can kind of just dismiss what anybody else thinks because after all, God knows my heart. He sees what's going on. I don't need to worry about what anybody else thinks so long as God knows and sees the integrity of my heart. And in some respect, that, of course, is true. We can't please and convince everyone else of what God alone knows about our heart. But as we have opportunity, we want to do things honorably before men as well. And this is what Paul is saying. Look, we don't need these men so that God can trust us with the offering. We need these men so that the churches, so that other men will, will trust that what we're doing is right and with integrity. And I think this is a good thing for us as believers to be reminded of, listen, we are on mission when we are out in the workplace, when we're in the store, when we're on, you know, coaching the Little League team, when we're out at the restaurants, in the community. You know, I want to be honorable not only before the Lord, but before men. I want to represent Christ. I want to represent the gospel wherever I go. Because people do watch. You know, I don't want to be the, the guy complaining because his meal is cold and making a fit at the restaurant. Now, sometimes I don't like cold food, and I do, but, you know, I want to I show a little grace. I want to have a little integrity, because I want to be honorable before God and man. So just the way you conduct an integrity in the workplace, the way we manage our employee life, the way we conduct ourselves in the, in the grocery store, wherever you are, remember, you represent Christ. And we want to do that with integrity. We want to honor God, and we want to be honored before men. Paul clearly has that in mind as he, rep- as he introduces these men. Now, he says that these guys are not just, you know, a couple of guys that, are, that I've found and sending. Now, these are men that have already demonstrated a certain character. It reminds me of what Paul told Timothy. And you don't need to turn, but I'll read it for you. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10. He said, let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Paul says, look, if you're going to serve in the ministry, if they're going to be handling ministry responsibility, we're looking for men that have already demonstrated a certain faithfulness, a certain character, a certain integrity. And Paul wants this kind of accountability so that God would be honored and that men would respect what's happening. A couple of uh, verses that I want to re- uh, reference here. And this is uh, got the New King James Version and the King James Version. I normally read out of the New King James. And 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says this. Abstain from every form of evil. But I remind you of the original King James. Because often this is the way this verse is remembered. It says abstain from all appearance of evil. 
In other words, to the best of our ability, let's not even get close to some kind of scandal or some kind of impropriety, lest even the appearance of evil would be cast upon us, because we are representing the Lord. And Paul knew that God knew their, their motives and their heart, but he also wanted there to be a certain confidence in the heart of those that were preparing the offering. And I think this is practical for us in church life as well. You know, we have a certain protocol in the way that we handle finances. As you know, offerings are received through the receptacles here. Those are locked receptacles for security. And we have a group of trusted men and ushers that go, and they go in pair, never one collecting, but two together. This is certain integrity and accountability. The money is counted always by two, not one. Those numbers are, you know, there's an audit trail created and they get deposited into the bank. And that's just a certain kind of protection for those that are doing the ministry and for, of course, the work of the ministry. The other thing that we notice is that, you know, in churches we, we look for an, a, a group of, uh, a board, a group of men and advisors that help us oversee and assist in the financing and managing of the, of the finances of the church. And for us as pastors, myself included, and all those that are serving as pastors and other ministry leaders, we do not know who gives what. We don't know who gives, we don't know who doesn't give, and we don't know the amount of anybody that gives. Now, I do know what's coming in, because that's part of the responsibility of decisions that have to be made. But I don't know who's giving what. We try to keep a certain distance between that, lest we be tempted, lest we be persuaded, lest we fall into some kind of you know, playing favorites. If I found out one of you was a, was a real large giver, I don't know. I might be reserving a nice cool seat for you, making sure you're comfortable. Are you all right? Is the light just so? How can we help you? I don't want to be tempted <laughs> because I'm just that carnal, right? As pastors, as those serving in ministry, we don't want to be ministering to God's sheep based on their contribution. We want to be ministering to God's sheep based on their cost, based on their value. I remind you what Paul told the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 28. He said, Therefore take heed to to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherds, pastors, ministers are to minister to the sheep because they have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're to minister because of your cost, not your contribution. We're to minister because of your value before God, not because of any monetary value that you represent in the life of the church. We have to look to God for those things, not man. So we keep a certain distance for the purpose of integrity. And I I think that's in the spirit of what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. Let's move on now to chapter 9. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this ministry of giving. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, And your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. 
Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul is just being very practical here. This church had made a a commitment. Hey, we want to give to the need of the churches in Jerusalem. And they had promised a generous offering. Well, now it's time to collect it and to transport it. And Paul wants to make sure that as they promise, they're actually ready. He's been talking about their generosity to some of the other churches that he has visited. Oh, the church in Corinth. These guys, Lord, just stirred their heart. They're really compelled to give. And he's, he's just saying, look, when we get there and some of these Macedonian brothers are with me, I don't want to find out that you talked all this giving, but now you're not really ready to do the giving. I thought it best to forewarn you that I'm coming so that you might prepare the offering. He talks about their zeal, their zeal to give, and that that has stirred up others to give. And I do believe that there is a ministry in our giving. And it's not just finances, just our giving of time, our giving of of resource to the Lord. You know, we don't do it as a competition. We don't do it to be seen of men. But there is something about being around people that love the Lord and want to serve Him and love giving and love love serving Him. That zeal is contagious and it, it helps contribute, minister to our hearts. And so Paul is simply saying, look, your zeal, your enthusiasm actually is ministering a real spirit of the same in the other churches as well. But he says, we don't want our boasting to be in vain. We want you to be practical. And I think there's some good practical guidelines here that we can glean just in terms of giving. You know, he said, you've made a commitment This means that they had already thought through what they wanted to do financially. It wasn't like, you know, uh, we'll show up and you just kind of see what's in your pockets and we'll just send you off with an offering. No, they've already thought through and made some kind of a commitment. And I think that giving does require a certain thoughtfulness, a certain preparation, a certain kind of committing yourself to what is it that we believe the Lord would have us to do. Of course, we're not called to do something beyond our ability, but within our ability, Lord, how would you want us to be a part of the work and the kingdom of God? It's thought out, not just some random decision. And having thought that through and having made that commitment, Paul is now encouraging them to prepare it. Well, this would require a certain budgeting, won't it? It'll require a certain diligence. It might even require a certain setting aside. Our giving may need to be a certain regular amount that's manageable. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, talking again about this offering that would come. He said to get it ready, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. You know, this just makes practical sense. You know, giving a large amount all at once is painful for all of us, let's be honest. But a little bit set aside faithfully, diligently, which adds up. That's not nearly as painful. I mean, that's the way we live a lot of our lives, isn't it? We we don't want to know what things cost. We want to know, what will it be a month? (laughs) That's what I can manage. That's how I manage my life, my household. And so Paul is simply communicating a practical diligence for their generosity in giving. And, And he says, look, if you'll do it this way, when we arrive, it can be done generously, not out of some grudging 
obligation. When you prepare it and are methodical and diligent, then your giving becomes something that's just a part of your Christian walk, not some obligation, not some resentment. Oh boy, he's here, we've got to come up with it. Uh, no, there's this heart that is willing, and there's this ability that can be generous. He expounds on this idea of giving, and look with me now in verse 6, and we see, of course, this beautiful passage that speaks about cheerful giving. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is, not, is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Paul speaks of this principle of giving, and he uses a natural understanding of sowing and reaping to help explain a spiritual principle and a spiritual reality. Now, I want to say that I believe personally this This spiritual law has been much abused in ministry and churches today. I believe that some have have used it as an opportunity to emphasize more on what you can get than what you can actually afford to give. It's turned into appealing more to the greed and the covetousness of, of the sheep rather than the generosity of the sheep. If you're in need, if you want more, just give more because it's a a spiritual law. Give to get. Give to get. And this principle, I believe, has been manipulated really to take advantage and to fleece sheep rather than to feed and nurture them. But the truth is that this spiritual law exists. And we need to be careful as we recoil back from the abuses. And you know, I, I am with you on that. But I don't want to recoil so far away from the true principle that I miss the truth of what God would teach us about trusting Him with all of our resources. You know, there are other passages that support this true spiritual law. I'll remind you of a couple of them. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. God, through the prophet, challenges his, his saints of the Old Testament. He says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Prove me on this. Test me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says, you know what? Test me. Try me on this. See that it, see if you'll be obedient in this giving that I'm asking of you. See if I don't now bless you abundantly because of your willingness to trust me in faith. This is the same principle Paul is re- referencing. If you'll sow, you'll, re- you'll reap. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together 
and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Paul wants them to understand there is a spiritual principle at play that if you sow, God will bring in for you a harvest, a sowing and reaping. And it's with that understanding... That knowledge that God is my provider, that God is watching over my resources, that's the context that we come to verse 7 in. With this knowledge, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you begin to trust that God is able to take care and God has given me all that I have, then I can release it back to Him for those things that He wants me to be a part of, knowing that He will take care of me and continue to bless. And that gives me a certain cheerfulness in my giving. I'm, I'm op- I have an opportunity to invest in the work of the kingdom and an opportunity to allow His grace to release that covetousness of my heart. To set me free from things and stuff and money managing me. And now the grace of God is helping me manage those things. He says you need to purpose in your heart. And then give willingly and cheerfully to the Lord. This is the kind of giving that I would encourage us to be a part of. Church, I want to say to you that I promise not to beg or pressure, or hype, or some crisis emergency. If you don't give today, this ministry is over. If we get to that place, then we'll just close the doors and trust God to lead us where where He can actually afford us. (laughs) Because I don't think God's hurting today financially. I I share these principles with you because they're right. They're good. And not because I'm trying to manipulate any giving on your part. Truthfully, church, I'm not looking to you. I'm looking to the Lord. And God will touch your heart. God will direct your heart. If I'll feed you on His Word, it'll bear its own fruit. And it'll it'll produce healthy sheep who understand these principles and begin to walk in faith. And we won't use any of those manipulations here. And if you've been here for any season of time, you know this. You know that money is not our... Our, our, our topic, not something that we push, not something that we really uh, even talk about very often at all. But here it is in our scripture and we want to cover it. We want to trust the Lord to do these things. And I believe that when giving is done with that spirit, that God will bless. God will bless. He is able to make, Paul says, all grace abound towards you. God has all that you need. He says that He's able to have all sufficiency so that you won't be in lack. Now, God has not promised everything that we want, but He has promised everything that we need. And that as we learn to walk, and there are seasons of, of abundance and seasons of, of difficulty. That's part of our journey. And God using those things to keep us humble and dependent and looking and praying to Him. But in the end... Here we are. God's taking care of us. You've made it. I know you were, you were worried if you would, but here you are. You've made it. God has provided all sufficiency for your need. And not only that, He says that He will provide even an abundance for every good work. 
I believe that God will give you not only what you need, but an abundance so that you can sow into the works, the good works that He has called us to do together. You'll have something to give to the work of God. I love Paul's prayer here in verse 10. He just prays that this God who supplies, that He will multiply the seed you have sown, that your giving would be returned to you, that you may be enriched in everything for all liberality, generosity. May He bless your giving, that you may have even more to give. He's the one that provides seed for the sowing. I like what Chuck Smith says on this subject. He said, you know, God will never be a debtor to man. You cannot outgive God. You'll never give so much that somehow God is wondering how He's going to pay you back. (laughs) God will never be a debtor to us. God will always provide that which is needed. And I want to say this, just as a uh, personal testimony for our church. I'm so blessed uh, to see how God has provided every need that this ministry has needed. And in abundance, we have been able to sow into other ministries and missionaries. and, And I believe more work yet to come. And it comes from the generous giving of God's people. Not by any hype, not by any begging, not by any pleading, not by any manipulation. It just comes by the grace of God in your lives. And this is a testimony to God's goodness in this place and God's goodness in your life and your faithfulness to respond. And I, would, I just wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want any other testimony than to see what God has done in this place. Close with me now. Take a look. Verses 12 through 15. Paul talks about this exceeding grace of God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Not only is it ministering to needs, it's creating this wonderful uh, spirit of thanksgiving. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Giving, generosity, these are good virtues in the life of the believer. These are godly qualities. These are characteristics of Christ who became rich that we might excuse me, who became poor, that we might become rich. He gave himself. And I do believe that God will continue to bless, that God will continue to take care of us through the exceeding grace. It is grace that we want to be responding to, not law, not religion. As I mentioned last week, you know, we talked about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant of law, and how God required His people to give, and a certain amounts were required, the tenth, the tithe. And now I mentioned that, you know, we're under a new covenant, a covenant of grace, and I, I don't see that tithe requirement being implemented in the New Testament. I don't see it taught doctrinally. I don't see it practiced in the church. But let's not... Let's not imagine that somehow, whew, so glad, giving, I don't have to worry about giving. We're under grace, not under law. Praise the Lord. Don't misinterpret grace, right? 
grace. I can't imagine that God would look to his children of grace who are under a better, superior covenant and would expect and look for less than those that were under law and under requirement. I don't say this to manipulate or in any way somehow try to, you know, boost the offerings here today. I have no agenda, but I want to be honest with this truth. Don't, don't look at grace as some license to be kind of irresponsible in your Christian living. That would not be, a, that would not be appropriate in any area of your life, not just giving. You know, Paul would talk about this some, and I'm going to close here today, just talking about this exceeding grace and this indescribable gift. Paul talking about grace in the book of Romans and how we are under grace and no longer under law and the beauty of grace versus law and the power of grace in our lives. And he says in Romans 5, he said, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But he goes on in chapter 6, he said, and he asks this kind of rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Other translations say, God forbid. That would not be the right understanding of grace. God's grace has not come to us. It's not been given so that we may be able to sin more and give less of ourselves to the Lord. The grace of God has come to set us free from the bondage of sin that we might give ourselves completely to the Lord. The grace of God is so superior and better than trying to live under the religion of law and duty and regulation, which we can't keep. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Thanks. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And what is the greatest gift, church? The gift of Christ. Giving begins and ends with grace. The giving of God... This indescribable gift that has been imparted to us, this is what all giving is anchored in, His goodness to us. You know the verse, I'll put it up for you, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace in our lives. And Lord, we thank You for the opportunity, really, to allow Your Spirit, Your grace, Your goodness, to transform our hearts. Because Lord, to be honest, by nature, we're selfish. By nature, Lord, we're we're covetous. But this is a chance, Lord, to turn over our hearts completely. And Lord, I would ask that you would teach us these principles. That we would learn this grace of giving, Lord. Not for any glory of a church or a building or a ministry. But because the grace of God has so touched our lives. Help us to be good stewards and to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to purpose things in our heart. To be diligent, to be thoughtful and to give willingly, and to give cheerfully in whatever you would ask of us, Lord. Whether it be time, a resource, it's all yours. Help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And as our heads are bowed here in this final moment of prayer, I I do want to give an opportunity for anyone here today that may need to respond to the word of the Lord. 
It may be that you are here today and you've never received this indescribable gift. This gift of grace and forgiveness that has been offered to you through the gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe the Lord is ministering to your heart right now. You know that you need Jesus. You know you need forgiveness of your sin. You know you you don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, but the Lord is speaking to you and you want to receive that, that gift into your life, I want to pray for you here in just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to the Lord. You need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. In honest, maybe you would acknowledge today that, you know, I've been living selfishly. I haven't been walking in this grace. I've not been living for the Lord. I've been living for myself and I've drifted away in my commitment with God. My relationship has gone dry and I I just need to come back to the Lord and have my heart refreshed and renewed. I, I need to rededicate and recommit myself to Him. I'd love to pray for you too if that's your heart. So if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time, or you want to rededicate and recommit your life to Him, I would ask you simply to raise your hand where you're seated, and I'll pray for you. God bless you. A couple hands here. Over here on my left as well. Amen. Balcony, a couple hands. God bless you both. Amen. Another one in the balcony. Amen. A couple hands here in the center. Lord bless you both in the back. Very back. Amen, sir. God bless you. Oh. <laughs> you, ma'am, as well. Amen. Any other? See, a number of people have responded. God bless you, ma'am. Just give a moment here as the Lord speaks to your heart. Oh, this indescribable gift. My far right. God bless you, ma'am. you. Oh, he wants to meet you today. Anyone else just before we pray? And so, Lord, for these hearts that have responded to your word today, I pray that at this very moment you would meet them. Oh, God, that you would just embrace them with your loving arms. No condemnation. No judging. Just grace, love, mercy. And for those that have responded, Lord, I I pray that you would just receive this as a prayer on their behalf, that they would come in one heart today and they would simply say, Jesus, I'm coming to you now and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to cleanse me and wash me clean today. I'm not worthy today. But even as K.J. ministered in song to us, you've made me worthy. You've made me worthy by what you did for me at the cross. Jesus, thank you. I believe it. I receive it. Wash me now and fill me with your spirit. Begin to change my life. Begin to transform this heart, Lord, into what you have planned, what you have desired. From the inside out, God, may from this moment forward... I want to live for you, turning from the way I'm going, and now I'm turning to you. In Jesus' name, amen.